Amen. Good morning. Good to be back with you once again. That's a great old song and it brings back a lot of memories. That was a favorite in our church in Chicago and uh, we sang it uh, often during communion. Uh, so that uh, kind of reminded me of those days, but uh, it's a great song and, and Graham, you're right. It is a, a testimony and the gospel message set to song and to music and thank God for that. Well, how are you today? Good, good. As I said, it's really great to be with you. Missed you guys. And as we were coming down today, I told Karen in the car, I said, uh, it's raining and we're on our way to Moody's Burn. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, it seems like every time we come, uh, we get some rain. We, I was preaching um, down and around Glasgow over the last month and every other Sunday it didn't rain. <laughs> but uh, that's okay. We're nice and dry in here. We're going to uh, turn our attention to a different uh, subject this morning, and I want to look this morning and tonight at the life of Joseph, one of the most well-known Bible characters, and I just trust that some of the lessons we can learn from his life uh, will be beneficial to you uh, in, in your own life today. I want to begin by reading in Genesis chapter 45, and we're going to read this entire chapter uh, we can't read all of Joseph's life in the time that we have this morning, but I thought this was a key part uh, to look at. And we'll read this, and then I'll just fill in the rest for those who's not familiar with the, with the story. So that's Genesis chapter 45. Verse number 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's house heard, heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. 
Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan. And bring your father and your family back to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I am convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Before we look a little bit closer at this text, let's just pause for a moment and acknowledge the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your blessings to us. Thank you for our life and health and strength. Thank you that we are able to be in your presence and in church once again. Father, thank you for all that we've experienced thus far through the songs and the music as we've given worship to you today. And I pray, Father, now as we turn our attention to your word that you would continue to be with us. God, I need you now. I need you to strengthen my mind and my body and my voice and help me to declare the truth of your word in a very clear and understandable way. I pray also that you would prepare the hearts of everyone who is here to hear what it is you want to say to them today. Father, we're not just here to inform people, but to have lives transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. So use your word, dear God, to minister to each and every heart under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My subject this morning is overcoming resentment, overcoming resentment. And the life of Joseph has much to share in that regard, and we'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, all of us have been hurt in our life. We've either been hurt about things people have said about us or done to us or thought about us. And, and some here may even carry deep wounds from things in the past. Maybe something your mother did or said, or something your father did or said, or someone who has hurt you very much in your life. But if you allow these hurts to just continue to reside in your heart, then it will keep you crippled and keep you from experiencing all that God has for you in your life. If you want to experience God's best, you have to let go of past hurts and resentments. Even these painful memories and things that you may have, God can heal those if you only let him do that. And that's why I turned our attention to this particular text in the life of Joseph. Because Joseph went through quite a bit. 
Just briefly, I'm sure most people here are familiar with the story. He grew up in a very prominent family. His father was well off and he was the favorite of his father's 12 sons. And his brothers hated him. They were jealous of him and they actually took him and sold him into slavery. And then told the father that he had been eaten by a wild animal. That's how much they they hated him. You can imagine that hurt Joseph very deeply. For his own flesh and blood, his brothers to treat him in such an awful way. And through a series of events, Joseph ends up being the governor over all of Egypt. Second in command only to Pharaoh. And then his brothers, because of a famine, they go to, from Canaan to Egypt to buy food. And again, through a series of events, they come to realize, and this is where we are in verse 45, that this person, this official that's distributing the food is the, their same brother, Joseph, who they had sold into slavery many years prior to that, about 13 years earlier. Joseph is faced with a decision. He could have been bitter. He could have had resentment and hatred. He could have sought revenge and all the rest. But let's look at what he does. And we've read it here. But let me just point out a couple things in Joseph's situation that I think are helpful for us. Could you get the next slide for me? The first thing I notice here is that Joseph forgave his brothers before they repented. We don't read anywhere in chapter 45 where the brothers repent and say, yes, we treated you horribly. We're very sorry for what we did. And will you forgive us? That doesn't happen. Joseph reveals to them that he is Joseph. They didn't know that up to that that point. And immediately he forgives them. And that lets me know something that forgiveness doesn't require repentance. You don't have to wait for the person to repent, to acknowledge their wrong, to forgive them. You have to let go of the hatred or let go of any resentment in your heart towards the person, even if they never acknowledge the wrong. And this is what Joseph did. Forgiveness doesn't require repentance. But now what does require repentance is restoration of the relationship. Forgiveness involves two things. The first is letting go of any uh, hatred or any uh, desire to get revenge on a person. But then the second part of forgiveness is the restoration of the relationship. And a relationship can't be restored to what it was before unless the person who is offended apologizes and repents for it. But what Joseph does here is he forgives them. He has no hatred in his heart, no desire to get even with them. And that's what we, we must do as well. The second thing is Joseph didn't dwell on the past. Look at verse number five. He says, and now do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. When he says, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into slavery, to tell him, don't be distressed about it. He doesn't begin to rehash the past. He doesn't talk about what they did to them, why they did it. You know, you were wrong when you did this or remember what you said. He just lets it go. And that's something that we must learn as well. That forgiveness doesn't require a rehashing of the past. It's not necessary to move on and to be freed of any bitterness or resentment to sit down with somebody and go through all the details of who said what, when, and where, and why and rehash all that. In fact, often it's very unprofitable. What we have to do is just give it to God. Say, Lord, help me with this. You know how I'm feeling. You know the hurt that I have. But I'm just going to give this over to you and I'm not going to hold this bitterness or this resentment in my heart. But we don't need to rehash the past. Move on. The next thing that we see here is that Joseph didn't seek revenge. 
Again, in verse number 11, let's read that. He said to them, I will provide for you there, when he talks about settling them in Goshen, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Joseph was in a very unique position. Rarely does somebody do us wrong and then we have an opportunity to exercise power over them the way that Joseph does. Most of the time, somebody does us wrong and the most we might be able to do is just get back on even ground with them. But in this case, Joseph's brothers had betrayed him, sold him into slavery, and then 13 years later, they're standing before him. Actually, probably 15 years later, they're standing before him and he, is, he has all the power, all the control as the governor of Egypt. He could have had them arrested. He could have thrown them into prison. He could have had them enslaved. He could have had them beaten, whipped, whatever he wanted to do. He had that power in his hands. But instead, instead of seeking revenge, he wanted to bless them. That's a lesson for us as well. Forgiveness involves letting go of your right to settle the score yourself and giving that right to God. Even if you find yourself in a position where now you have the upper hand. They've mistreated you, but now it's your turn. What God wants us to do is not take advantage of that. I think there's a very important uh, principle here. We are not to treat people like they've treated us. We're to treat people like God treats us. God is always loving. He's always gracious. He's always forgiving. And we're to show that same attitude, that same desire to someone else. I think about the situation where if you were working for someone early in your career and they were your manager and they were harsh and mean and unfair to you, just gave you a very difficult time, just made your life miserable in the workplace. And then 10 years, 15 years down the road as your career advanced, you found yourself in a position where now you're over them, where you're their boss. Or maybe they come to your company now looking for a job. And you have a great opportunity now to do to them what they once did to you. Because the tables are turned. But what we learn from Joseph is that what God wants us to do is not to seek revenge. Not to say, I'm going to do to you what you did to me. This is my chance to get back. Joseph didn't seek revenge and neither should we. Romans 12:19 says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. The world's way is that if somebody does you wrong and you have an opportunity to get them back, you have every right to do that. You know, kind of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth uh, philosophy. But God's way is if somebody has done you wrong, don't seek to get them back. When the tables are turned and you have the upper hand, don't say, you know what, all of the grief you gave me, I'm going to give you. Just let it go and leave them in God's hand. There's another thing about Joseph I see here. The next thing is Joseph wasn't blind to their character. Verse 24, look at what he says. Before he sends them back to get his father, he says, Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. I thought about that little. It's just a little verse there, verse 24, in the midst of this whole thing. But I think what was happening there is Joseph realized who his brothers were. He knew their character. 
He knew they were likely to leave and start blaming one another and fighting with one another and, and causing all kind of chaos. And so he tells them, and it's kind of a really odd thing for a grown man to tell other grown men. And remember, he's next to the baby in the family, so all of his brothers are older, telling them, don't quarrel, don't argue on the way. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you don't recognize that the person hasn't changed or that you ignore their character flaws. You forgive them even if they're the same person they have always been. And his brothers were that way. And in fact, much of what we read prior to these chapters, chapter 45, is Joseph taking them through a series of tests to see if they changed at all. One of the tests that he had was for them to bring the youngest son, Benjamin, to Egypt. And then as they were leaving, Joseph had one of his attendants put some materials or some items in Benjamin's sack as if he had stolen them. And it was a chance to see if the brothers would stand up for Benjamin or would they be happy to say, well, Benjamin was the one that stole it. Benjamin can go and be a slave in Egypt. We're going back home. And they did pass that test and showed that they were more concerned about Benjamin than themselves. But Joseph wasn't completely blind to their character. And if in our situation, sometimes if someone has been abusive to you, it doesn't mean that you pretend that they're not abusive. And you put yourself in a position where you can be hurt by them again. But even if they've not changed, you still have to forgive them. If someone has stolen from you, it doesn't mean forgiveness doesn't mean you pretend that they've never done that and that's not in their character and you leave yourself open to them stealing from you again. We need to make sure we use common sense in this. Don't ignore people's character flaws, but we still must forgive. And this is what Joseph did. And then lastly... Something we can learn from Joseph's life is that he recognized God's sovereignty in his circumstances. Verse 8, which we read earlier, he said, It was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph realized that God's hand was in all of this. And so even though his brothers did this horrible thing, it was part of God's larger plan. Here's a lesson for us today. It's easier to forgive when you trust God. Forgiveness isn't saying this person's going to get away with it. It isn't saying what they've done is not so bad. It isn't dismissing it or making out that it never happened. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to exercise control in this. I'm going to give it to God. I trust Him to seek revenge. I trust Him to deal with this person. And I trust that if God has allowed this to happen, God has a larger plan and a greater plan. It is harder to forgive If you don't trust God, if you can't just give it to him, unforgiveness happens when we feel like they've done something and they need to be punished and it's up to me to punish them. I cannot let them get away with it. Don't worry. God sees. There's a quote by Dr. Martin Luther King that uh, I really like. He talks about how the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And what he means by that is that eventually, because there's a God in heaven, injustices will be corrected. Nobody gets away with it forever. People can lie against you. People can mistreat you. People can do you wrong. But if you keep trusting God, he sees and he will settle all scores. Sometimes God is punishing a person for how they've mistreated you in ways that you can't see. You might think they've gotten away with it, but you don't know the hell that is going on in their personal life because of what they have done to you. Just trust God. It's easier to forgive when you trust God. It's easier to forgive when you trust God to fight your battles. 
And that can be hard, isn't it? Sometimes when you feel like somebody's mistreating you, getting away with it, you just want to do something. But can you just trust God to deal with it? And that's what the scripture we read earlier says, that don't seek revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay it. And what God is asking you is, just leave it with me. I got this. (laughs) They seem like they're getting away with it, but they haven't. Well, let's look a little bit more at why we should forgive. I remember preaching on forgiveness once in a church in Glasgow. And this lady came up to me afterwards and she was quite agitated with me. And she was saying, you know, I just don't understand this thing about this preaching about forgiveness. Because it just lets people get away with stuff. You know, people who do wrong need to be punished. And when Christian ministers say that you should just forgive and stuff, you all are just letting people get away with wrong. But she she misunderstood what forgiveness is all about. It isn't that we're saying they just get off scot-free. We just give it to God. But she also didn't understand some very fundamental reasons why it is important for you to forgive. And that's what we want to look at. Why should you forgive someone? Why is it so important? Well, here's the first thing. You should forgive because God has forgiven you. You will never forgive anyone. More than God has forgiven you. Jesus told this parable on one example, on one time, one occasion, where a man owed the king millions of pounds and was forgiven of the debt. He went out of the court, cleared of this huge debt, and ran into somebody who owed him like a hundred pounds and demanded that that person pay the debt. And the person couldn't pay, so he had him thrown into jail. Well, when the king heard about that, he was livid. How could you throw your fellow man into prison over a small debt when I just forgave you this huge debt? And because of that, the king canceled the forgiveness of his debt and made him responsible for everything that he owed. And the lesson to us is this. How can we accept God's forgiveness and then hold somebody else? No matter what anybody has done to us, it doesn't compare to what we have done to God. How many times? Have you asked God to forgive you? Would I, would I be out of order if I say it's more than a dozen in your lifetime? More than two dozen? More than a hundred? Maybe a thousand? <laughs> Dare I say maybe ten thousand? <laughs> and yet, we can hold somebody else for what they have done to us. God has forgiven you. He's forgiven you completely, unconditionally, and constantly. Ephesians 4 says this, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Some people have a hard time forgiving others because they've never really appreciated how much they have been forgiven by God. But when you know you've been forgiven of a lot, then you feel motivated and obligation to share that forgiveness with others. Let other people experience forgiveness as well. So that's the first reason God has forgiven you. Here's the second one. Resentment causes pain. Resentment is always self-destructive. If you're holding bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness against somebody, you know who's really suffering? You. There have been times when people have been angry with somebody and had resentment. And they spend all of their waking moments thinking about that other individual. They can't sleep at night because as they're lying on their bed, they're rehashing and rehearsing their minds the things that that person did or said to them. 
you know, they wake up in the morning, they've got ulcers and headaches and, and stress and all of these things. And you know what the other person is doing? Not even thinking about them. <laughs> They're having a good old time. They're sleeping well. They don't know that you're thinking about them at home. Resentment doesn't, anything, doesn't do anything but harm you. Job is an example of that in scripture. Job lost everything. In one single day, not over a lifetime, but in one single day. Terrorists came in and killed his kids, stole all of his cattle, ruined his crops. And on top of that, he got a terrible disease as well. <clears throat> Everything went wrong. If anybody had an excuse to be bitter, it was Job. None of us have experienced the depth of suffering that this one man experienced. But yet, this is what he said. Job said, to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. He realized there was no sense in being resentful. I think holding resentment in our hearts is like drinking poison and hoping that our death would cause a great deal of grief to the other person. <laughs> it's silly. It's just going to hurt us and they're not going to experience anything. Resentment causes pain. You must let it go. The other thing about resentment, resentment can prolong your pain or can continue your pain for years. Whatever it is that somebody has done to you in the past, it's in the past. You can't relive it again. It's already happened. That's it. The only way it can continue to hurt you is if you bring it into your present. And you do that every time you rehearse whatever they've done to you over and over again in your mind. No one can continue to hurt you unless you allow yourself to be hurt, unless you do that. You know, I'm afraid there may be somebody here who's been hurt in the past. And because you're not forgiving that person, you're allowing them to hurt you over and over again every day. Let me give you an example. Maybe you've done this. I know I have. Have you ever been at home or in the car or just doing something and you felt completely fine? You're at peace. Your mind was at ease. You begin to think about somebody or something somebody said about you and your whole attitude will change just like that. You know, sometimes that can happen when a song comes on and that song will bring up certain memories and your whole mood will change. Same thing. You can be fine and all of a sudden you'll think about somebody or what they said to you and now all of a sudden your whole attitude, your whole day is ruined. That's what can happen to us. If we allow ourselves to rehearse the things that have happened in the past, it continues to hurt us. Some people hold this bitterness in their heart their whole life. That's a shame. <clears throat> Again, Job says this. He says, some men stay healthy until the day they die. Others have no happiness at all. They live and they die with bitter hearts. Have you ever known anybody like that? Full of bitterness and resentment? They can't speak nicely to other people. They're mean and cold. Because of something that happened long, long time ago. There's been people that have had bitterness in their heart for 40, 50 years. The things they talk about is something that happened a long time ago. You would think it happened yesterday. There are people that think about things that have happened to them and they feel the emotion of it, the pain of it, as if it happened this morning. When in actual fact, it happened decades ago. Resentment can continue your pain for years. Here's the other thing about resentment. Resentment is unhealthy. 
research has shown that the unhealthiest emotion known to human beings is bitterness. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of emotions, but there's none that's more unhealthy for us than bitterness. God didn't make our bodies to carry guilt and shame and resentment around. And when you swallow resentment, it affects your stomach, your heart, your mind, your back, your whole body. I had a similar incident just this week. Thank God it wasn't resentment, but it was stress. I found myself one day just thinking about a lot of different things that we're facing as a family. And, and, and all of a sudden, as the day went on, I just got this splitting headache. I mean, just a terrible headache. And then not only that, I just felt really unwell. So I went and kind of laid on the couch for a while and then <clears throat> Karen fixed dinner and uh, brought it in to me. And I, could, I, you know, I usually have a very healthy appetite. <laughs> I could only eat like half of it. I just didn't have an appetite for food. I felt terrible. But I didn't really know why at the moment. But then later on as I thought about it, I said, you know what, I think it's just stress. I think just thinking about all of these things and all these situations I'm trying to solve and how we're going to do this, how we're going to do that, how's this going to work, how's that going to work. And that just, just overwhelmed me. Thankfully, God had mercy on me and reminded me of that and I was able to pray about it and I felt perfectly fine the very next day. But I can only imagine what it would be like to feel like that every day of your life or often. And that's what can happen with bitterness. There are people in their grave today because of bitterness and resentment. It actually killed them. There are marriages that have been broken up over bitterness and resentment. As husband and wife, if we allow resentment and bitterness to get in our heart, we begin to look at our spouse as the enemy. There you are, you're living in a house with somebody, this is your spouse, and yet you see them as the enemy. Can't speak nicely to one another, trying to hurt each other and get back at one another, that's not good. How many people spend their life being really careful about eating right, getting plenty of exercise? <laughs> but that won't matter at all if you've got bitterness and resentment in your heart. I knew someone in Chicago who, <clears throat> excuse me, abused drugs, smoked marijuana and other drugs, but yet they had this thing about water. They would only drink bottled water. <laughs> and you think, that just doesn't make sense. Because the tap water, they said, wasn't clean, wasn't good for you. Now, they put all these other impurities into their body, but they won't drink anything but bottled water. There are people like that who will, you know, they're vegans and exercise, but yet they hold a resentment in their heart, and that's killing them worse than any food they could ingest. Here's the last thing about why we need to get rid of all resentment. You will need more forgiveness in the future. <laughs> forgiveness is a two-way street. The way God forgives us is not just kind of, uh, you got a blank check, I'll just forgive you, and it doesn't cost you anything. God forgives us, as we forgive others. And if we ever stop forgiving others, then we suspend God's forgiveness in our life. It's kind of like a water hose. You know, you've got it tied into the tap and, you know, it comes out. And, you know, that water will just come out until you do something to stop it. You know, I remember as a kid, sometimes we'd have the hose and then we'd bend it. You know, we, and, and make the water stop. And that's what happens. God's forgiveness is, is available to us always. But when we don't forgive others, it's like we've bent the holes and now we've cut off God's forgiveness to us. How can we live in a world if we've suspended God's forgiveness in our life? We're going to need it again one day. I'm not saying that, you know, there's an excuse for sin and you just, you just got to sin every day and just go on to sin because God's forgiven you. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we're not sinless beings. 
No matter how hard we try, we will need God's forgiveness again. And that's why we must forgive other people. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But here's the key part. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You must forgive people. Because if you don't, God will not forgive you. You can get on your knees and pray all you want. You know, you can say, God, forgive me, and I'm so sorry. But if you're not forgiving others, God says, let me just say that again, because it's not my words, it's Jesus. He says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You remember the Lord's Prayer? Most of us have it memorized. There's a line in it that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you know what you're really praying when you pray that? You're saying, God, your forgiveness of me is dependent on my forgiveness of others. If we really look at it that way, maybe we don't want to pray that prayer. (laughs) That's a tight standard, but it's God's standard. We must forgive other people. Well, the last thing I just want to say is, think of forgiveness in this sense. Imagine that you were diagnosed with a serious disease and the doctor said that this disease has the potential to end your life. What would you be willing to do to save your life? What treatment would you be really willing to undergo? Most of us would be willing to do whatever it takes. We've got to have surgery. We've got to have some other treatment, you know, change our diet, whatever we need to do because we want to live. Well, if you're holding bitterness in your heart, then you have a disease. It has the potential to kill you spiritually and physically. The only cure is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the cure. Now, just like with cancer, sometimes the cure isn't all that great in the beginning. If you have cancer, you've got to go through chemo radiation or chemotherapy or radiation. You can get sick from it. It's not comfortable. It brings some pain. But eventually, that treatment will make you better in the end. The same with forgiveness. Forgiveness is more of a process than an event. If you realize through this sermon that there's a need for forgiveness in your life, that you're holding somebody, you haven't forgiven somebody, you just can't make a decision right now, I've forgiven that person, and you walk out of here, and you're just as happy as a lark, and everything is great. It doesn't work like that. I wish it did. But what you can do today is make a determination that I want to forgive them. God help me to forgive them. And commit yourself to doing that. And over time, that will happen. And it may be painful in the beginning. It may be difficult at first. But in the end, it will save your life. It will save your relationship with Jesus Christ. We must forgive. Amen. Talking this morning about overcoming resentment. Give it to God. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me just as I close in prayer. And as you do, I just want to pause for a few minutes to give you a chance to just let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. Maybe He's brought somebody to your mind or a situation to your mind that you haven't forgiven. Maybe you're really bottled up with anger and resentment and bitterness and it's destroying your life. Pray to God this morning. Ask Him to help you. Tell Him you want deliverance from this and He'll do it for you.
Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the life of Joseph. Father, it's very likely that none of us in this room have ever experienced the depths of betrayal and hurt that Joseph did. And yet, through your grace, he was able to forgive. And you blessed him for it. Father, I pray that you help all of us to have that same mindset. That we forgive those who have hurt us and be blessed by you. Father, thank you for those who raised their hand this morning saying, yeah, I want God to help me to let go and to forgive those who have hurt me. Father, thank you for their honesty and their openness before you and their desire to do what's right. God, I know you'll honor that. Show them what they need to do. Help them to really let go, give it to you, dear God. I pray that you'd bring a real sense of peace into their heart. I pray, dear God, that you begin to bring harmony in their relationship with the person who has offended them. And Father, I pray that in their actions of forgiveness, that you will be glorified. That others will see the way that they treat someone who's wronged them and and give you really the praise and honor for that. Father, it's not easy for us as human beings to do this. And that's why we need your help. We need your strength, your power. I pray that you'd give it to all of us this morning. Father, thank you for everyone who is here. Just pray a blessing on each and each and every soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.